0: And welcome to sustain the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Does anyone have a D20 that I could roll? And what is this bat thing? I don't, I, I don't understand how Dungeons & Dragons works. <sighs> Just roll the dice. Anyway, no, very excited to have our guest on today. It is very rare that we get to talk about really cool stuff. That's actually not true. We always do. But definitely today is going to be fun. We have a lot of hosts on today. So I'm Richard Littower. Hello, everyone. We also have Eric Berry. Eric, how you doing?
1: I'm doing awesome. Excited for today.
0: Ben, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Errol, how you doing? I'm doing well. Busy, but well. Excellent. Some of you may be curious who was this Ben person I just randomly elided over there. Ben Nichols is, of course, one of the people behind Open Collective. He is very exciting. It looks like he's calling from Shropshire. We are having him on today as a guest host, a guest panelist, because we have an amazing guest named Anthony Ronda. Anthony is joining us today from New Jersey, which is Lenape territory, where he does a lot of cool stuff that we're not going to be talking a lot about because we're going to be talking about his side project, which is exciting. He is one of the leadership in the extraordinary foundry VTT developers. He is a ringmaster.
2: Did I already mess it up, Anthony? You did. How did I mess it up? So this is a running joke that you have to take a drink every time you mess up our name. However, it's the League of Extraordinary Foundry VTT Developers. Okay, what does VTT stand for? Virtual Tabletop. What is this league? So we have, I guess, just to talk about some of the history and background, there is this platform called Foundry VTT. Foundry Virtual Tabletop, which helps you play Dungeons and Dragons and games like Dungeons and Dragons virtually. So why is this a category that is interesting to talk about now? Is that's normally something that people would get together and play in person. And during the pandemic, a lot of the existing platforms exploded and Foundry VTT basically came right online around March, 2020. And so it got a lot of interest. It was the new thing. What's especially cool about it is that it's a platform that runs on JavaScript and it has an open API that, you know, they were very forthcoming with a lot of feedback in the beginning, built the API to a place where people were really excited to use it. And so now in the league, which is a community of game developers and programmers and game publishers our community has about 2500 members and 660 of which are programmers who create for that API
3: that's really interesting that you say the foundry was something that came online just at the start of the pandemic i thought maybe this is something that i just massively missed out on because i've been as a lot of other kind of board game people have been doing throughout the pandemic living on Tabletop Simulator. And I thought I'd just missed out on like a whole other world that I'd just found. But that timing sounds quite significant. Is Foundry like Tabletop Simulator created by one single organization? So I think TTS is Berserk Games. Does Foundry have like a similar kind of commercial entity that's running the core?
2: Yes. So to give kind of like background on the company, they started up just to create the software. So they have like five employees right now, either five or six. And then what I would say about the differences between Tabletop Simulator and Foundry VTT, I would say it's more geared towards games like Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing games because it doesn't have card functionality yet. It doesn't have a lot of the virtual 3D environment. It's more of a 2D environment. So you can't necessarily play around with fully 3D minis. There are a lot of different platforms that are like this. That one is a little bit more catered towards board games where Foundry VTT is a little bit more catered towards what we call as a category,
1: tabletop role-playing games. I was so excited to talk to you this morning. I've been smiling this whole time because I didn't realize that this existed until very, very recently. To give you a, a little bit of background of me, I grew up in the Midwest United States I think I'm 45 now. I don't even remember. But I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons with all of my friends. And that was just what we did every weekend. We'd get together. We'd probably play for a combined 18 hours over the weekend, every weekend. And it was such a cherished memory of mine. And it seems like what has been created and what you're providing is the ability for us as this bunch of old players to get back together and just do what we used to do. Because it's completely set up for remote. It's all on the web. But it blows my mind that this thing exists and I didn't know about it. How has the adoption been over the past year? So a couple different things.
2: One, because I don't actually work for Foundry VTT, we're entirely on the like volunteer open source communities. We don't actually have a lot of those numbers. So I mentioned that our community, our creator community is 2,500 members and the Discord is like, It's kind of like a gamer home base for a lot of communities. Discord community for the official Discord community is somewhere between 40,000 and 45,000 different users. And that's the English Discord. There's also a Spanish Discord, French Discord, Japanese. I'm trying to just hit all the big ones, but a couple other big ones that have somewhere between 500 and 1,000 users. Each of them being their own distinct communities of play. So whether they are there to get together to play together or whether they are there to ask for technical questions as they will often do. So that's really the numbers that I have. Also, I help run the subreddit for the platform and we just recently hit our 25,000 user milestone. So those are the numbers that I have and Foundry VTT kind of keeps their numbers kind of locked up. So, Foundry VTT didn't invent this as like a product category. This was started like a decade ago, actually really a couple decades ago. People have been thinking about this problem for a long time. The most popular platform right now has many millions of users. They're called Roll20 and they are well above and beyond what Foundry VTT gets. But we kind of believe that we have the larger API developer community. We're not entirely sure, but that should give you a good idea so
1: when you talk about the API developer community, can you dig into not only how this relates to open source but what type of contributions exist in this platform?
2: so I can't say for certain where Foundry VTt where the community got going, but I can say that it started with the creators of the platform themselves creating a module a separate download if you will that is open source that has the code that you need that you can plop into the platform to play dungeons and dragons fifth edition that's the most recent edition and a lot of different creators took code from that and also you know just from looking at the api and were able to make their own versions their own rule sets for popular games, all JavaScript, HTML, CSS, et cetera, z- packaged up into a zip file along with a open source license because that's how the original was made. And kind of as time went on, people realized that they could make contributions to each other's work, You know, mostly in the form of
1: bug fixes, So basically the majority of those who actually use a platform are not interested or able to modify or commit to augmenting the platform.
2: Yeah, I would say, yes, we are a small portion of a larger community. And what we've noticed is that a lot of the people in the lead community, they go out and form their own fan bases, essentially and what really really helped me make sense of what was going on was nadia eggball's book it gave me the language at least to say what we have in the league community is a club of stadium projects because we are all collaborating on some level trying to get some things done there are modules that we need to make sure have compatibility with each other so that games run smoothly when people want to use for example they want to play dungeons and dragons but they want to use this optional rule that someone has coded into a feature that can be plugged into the foundry platform as a add-on module then when that request comes in if both programmers are amenable to that feature request gets implemented. And there are lots of different examples of that. But basically, what we're doing is we're helping support that and give that space for that.
4: Level five tiefling ranger here with a question for the (laughs) the panelists. Sorry, I had to. I've actually recently been on the receiving end of Foundry VTT. My new DM, shout out to Maura, new DM is using it and used it this week to do something that i would not seen in other platforms like this rain effect for when we were traveling from one point to another and just kind of like the atmospheric parts of the game was really well serviced in the tool and I was absolutely blown away. It wasn't just like these, you know kind of static maps that I'd kind of got used to. And that really, for me, kind of said and cemented for me like, oh, this is a cool tool. I really need to check out more of this. So I really want to hear from you what some of the coolest stuff that you've made in Foundry or participated in building that you think is super, super cool
2: that you've really enjoyed being part of. So actually, my main game, the game that I play the most, is Call of Cthulhu, which is inspired by Lovecraftian mythos, or at least the good parts of it. So we had a dinner party where each of the players were guests. And as part of the scenario, it was relevant that there was a bell in every room of the mansion that the guests were invited to. And I had hooked it all up so that the players could click on their like dinner bells to call the butler. And so there was a butler token that moved from room to room. And when they clicked on the bell, they would hear the bell. And then the butler would move to that room so that they could do something. And spoilers for the adventure, the butler turned out to be not so great of a person And so you could quickly transform that token into a beast and still have all of their associated stats associated with them. And then the butler would start attacking them. That's the one that's coming to mind right now. But people have done all sorts of cool things just by taking a bit of JavaScript here and there and applying it to the Foundry platform.
4: That's very cool. Like I myself have only DMs a couple of times, very lo-fi style DMing and I am already thinking about kind of ways that I can manipulate platforms to do better immersion for my players. So hearing ideas and stories of that and the flexibility that you can do that within Foundry VTT is very cool. And also what a great moment to be battling monster butlers after ringing a bell. Very cool.
2: Right. A lot of people are talking about how digital platforms are taking what used to be a table face-to-face experience and turning them into video games. And some of my favorite board games that are coming out right now come with companion apps that are doing things that weren't possible before with the addition of something to be like a second brain for the game. So like that is often leveled as a criticism. But I just see it as another opportunity to do something more unique, do something multidisciplinary with the tools that you have.
0: I like that a lot. Full disclosure, I grew up evangelical. When I was 12, I listened to a Christian podcast, I guess you would call it today, called Adventures in Odyssey, which horrified me because I was a kid who played d and swiftly went down and became a Satan worshiper. So I swore never to play role-playing games. And I have held true to that. For no obvious reason, I think I would really love them, but that's why I'm the only person here without a level 95 dark mage, elf, warrior, lord, king, something, which I regret. And it's very sad. One of the things I'm curious about is I know very little about the gaming communities. I know very little about d and D. I'm still not even sure how to spell it. When we're talking about Wizards of the Coast, who I believe is the company that made them, how have they been involved with open source? So... This entire industry is very interesting to me because when I think of video games, I think of very closed source. EA doesn't share anything. Everything is private. Everything is under the hood. Everything is locked away from users. And Dungeons & Dragons seems to me to be the opposite of that. Can you talk a bit about the history of open source here so I can have some more context, understand how your league is, say, doing new or novel things or how it depends on open source?
2: First off, rules aren't protectable by copyright. However, a specific implementation of rules into text are protected by our copyright. Wizards of the Coast knows this, but they also know that being a market leader, so this is something that was written by a Wizards of the Coast employee a long, long time ago. Being a market leader doesn't necessarily mean that you're the best game, but it's the game that everyone knows the rules to. And so one of their earliest employees who doesn't work there anymore, created the open game license. And it was, I guess, drafted or possibly published in the year 2000, which is a couple of years before Creative Commons came out. And it's trying to do a little bit of GPL and a little bit of what Creative Commons became. And it's just allowing you to use the rules Of Dungeons and Dragons. However, you cannot use the trademark Dungeons and Dragons and you know create commercial products with it and so on. So that's what enables Foundry VTT to do what it does without creating a partnership with Wizards of the Coast. Plenty of others have done so as well. I actually created an awesome list of a bunch of different software projects that have the OGL license somewhere in their software files just to show people that this is what can be achieved with some kind of open licensing for copyrighted game rules. And so they did that with their third edition, their fourth, and it it was widely successful. Their fourth edition, they removed it. Basically that employee left, they thought it was a bad idea. They removed it for their fourth edition. They don't have a fourth edition open game license supplement and that did not do well. Whether that was due to that edition not being popular or whether it was due to the fact that nobody could then create their own adventures and worlds using that edition's rule set, you can't really say one or the other. But then they went back to it in the fifth edition, that's the current edition, and Dragons has literally never been more popular. And now the head of the game, I forget his exact title, he was hired into Wizards of the Coast off of the strength of all of his OGL licensed work. You can at least see the correlation, if not show causation, that open licensing allows your game to be more popular and go everywhere.
4: On that note, I have experienced the I want to say overwhelming, but I also want the positive form of overwhelming amount of like homebrew stuff that's out there for not only Dungeons and Dragons editions, but like everything under the sun as far as TTRPGs go. And one of the things that I'm really curious is about how those cultures and communities grow and how that happened, essentially, whether this license was maybe it was the Part that like drove this, but how we sustain those kinds of communities and how those kind of communities grow. And what do you think that other open source tools, communities, projects could learn from the TTRPG community? What practices could we start to shift over to other communities that would help this kind of growth of content, engagement, community cohesion, with maybe also, you know, there's always the risk of the more critical and not so great parts of the community with those things. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we can transfer over.
2: I want to say that the barriers to entry, you probably already know from personal experience or from looking out at the world and saying, why aren't there more programmers? And it's partly just all the usual barriers to entry. You know, anyone who can write down some text in their own words can write an adventure for Dungeons and Dragons. So like, I don't have anything that I can necessarily lean on and say, like, this is going to be the magic. But if open source had tools that lowered barriers to entry so that you could write in your own words a function, like I'm kind of thinking like I had just created a Twitter bot and I had been playing around with Google Colab for a while now, and I've never looked at the Twitter API before. And Google Colab, for those who aren't familiar, is they call it the AI pair programmer. And what they have done is they have made it so that I can not ever have to look at the Twitter API. I can just write down what I want in comments and it writes the whole function for me. And that's pretty much what happened. So I think that is really the only lesson to be learned is that We already know that there's a fairly large barrier to entry for anyone who's not already a programmer to get into a programming community. So that's probably all that I have to offer there.
3: I was going to pick up on, I guess, kind of like the other side of that equation, which is I'm kind of looking on the repos, the League of Extraordinary Foundry VTT developers, I don't have to drink, Mm -hmm. have published and just seeing that you're creating a lot of tools for people who are building implementations of game systems and i was wondering coming back a little to like nadia's book and you're talking about clubs and stadiums and so on do you think that the community that you kind of support has a different relationship with one another because they come into it through a game or a gaming system do you think there's a stronger kind of sense of community there that people within that space would have because they might play together and enjoy kind of being together with the software that they build.
2: I found it a lot easier to make friends through the league than other open source communities. And I don't know really what the root cause of that is. The friends that I've made, we don't actually really play with each other so much. In fact, like we tend to not even play the same games as each other. So where does that camaraderie come from? I think we're just less afraid to joke around with each other. It's not necessarily a professional environment. We have a code of conduct, we expect good behavior, but we're also just all joking around with each other. It is more of a sense of play in that community than I have seen elsewhere in open source. Who's to say whether that is why I had an easier time, but I think that if more open source communities did have like a little bit of a, hey, let's just you know get together and mess around with something attitude, then that would open up a lot more opportunities for people to actually become friends with each other, as opposed to pretending it's more of a work relationship or something.
0: I'm curious how many people in the open source gaming community are there on behalf of their company?
2: So our community actually does have a number of game publishers and also people who are working one-on-one with game publishers, almost no professionals in this industry really have the background for digital implementations of their own games, they're relying on a lot of times volunteer work, but also in some cases paid maintainers. So I'm not going to like list a whole bunch of examples, but there are examples in our community of people being paid to be maintainers of the open source package that their games rely on. So I would say it's like a very, very small minority of maintainers who actually do that. And then as far as commercial side projects, people who are actually getting paid for their open source, that is happening probably like a slightly larger minority of people who have created something so popular that people are signing up for those maintainers patreons and some of them are only making $100 a month off of that. Some of them are making in the I would say like five digits range per month off of that so it really kind of depends you know you have to really have something really popular in order to make that much off of these but as far as i've seen our higher end is you know kind of like neck and neck with some of the more popular javascript maintainers like in the npm ecosystem for example
0: i wonder if that has an influence on it because when i think about open source and i think about who's showing up to things. A lot of it is industrial or it's a lot of people who are trying to learn open source so they can get a better job and lift themselves out of whatever job they were in before. But when I was hacking on like age of empire templates to make different campaigns, I was doing that for fun. I had no expectations. Anyone was ever going to hire me for that stuff. I was looking online for random things and sort of messing around. And it's a whole lot easier to make friends when you're messing around. That's why kindergarten wasn't the problem. You know, it was just like, cool, here we are. Let's, these are fun blocks. Ha Take that. I just wonder if that has more of an influence on the gaming community. Anecdotally, that would seem to be the case. But like, it'd be cool to have stats.
3: I don't know what those would look like. I was just going to ask, how does one kind of get started in this space? Because it sounds like a great community to be a part of. It sounds like there's some engagement from game publishers. There's some support which is being offered by members of the community to those publishers. There are people who are being paid by others who kind of are using the game systems and the tools that have been created to to create those game systems?
2: Like, how do you kind of get started in this community? We don't have any, like, tutorials. We do have some templates to get started on our GitHub. And usually I say, go find a beginner-level JavaScript course that's really all you need to get started is a little bit of JavaScript experience. We also have community-created TypeScript types. So if you're more familiar or more comfortable with typescript that's available as well on our discord server we have pinned in one of our channels a really basic to do list but inside of foundry tutorial we haven't really built that out that's something that i'm hoping to get us moving in that direction of what is the top to bottom tutorial what do we recommend what practices do we recommend for creating your own game system, your own game rules that anyone can plug and play into Foundry and make something that you're happy with as a result. We don't really have that yet, but we do have the community to answer your questions. And almost every question gets answered in some respect, so long as you have a little bit of background, a little bit to get started. So I would mostly just say, check those resources out in our Discord server and ask questions if you need to ask questions
4: just as a addition since i'm also part of the discord they're uh, trying to be a nuisance in the design channels for designers or people that are like i don't want to write code what can i do there is plenty to do from a design perspective and user research perspective and i personally i cannot wait to do more of that once i'm less busy
2: personally yeah so the community is really great at collaborating and thinking through different ideas if you have a very specific goal that you have in mind that you'd like to find some collaborators on what we'll do is we'll set up a private channel for you to just add a whole bunch of people to and that way we have that as a workspace and we have roughly like 20 different people who are helpers in our community, who might just feed a little bit of ideas for you, who might know someone who was also thinking along the same lines. So if there are any people in our community already who didn't already know that, we're trying to be more explicit about that. Something that I've discovered in the community manager space that I'm trying to pull into our community is guidelines of participation. Discord is just chat. It's not clear to our community that they can request something like that. They, they can request a private space from us. We'll give it to you. We'll feed ideas to you. And you can kind of run that as your own work group. And so I'm at least trying to be more proactive about thinking like, what is a successful collaboration? What does that look like? And how can I be more explicit about showing that like this isn't just top down? These are the channels. You're here to ask questions. I want to make sure that people are also here to provide input. And I think that requires being more explicit about that. It's like writing it down and having it as a document that all can see.
0: Documentation for the win. I mean, a lot of what you're saying to me is direct corollaries to open source in general. This has been super interesting as an introduction. I do have a lot more questions. Unfortunately, we're also running up against time. Anthony, where can people find the league of extraordinary foundry VTT developers online?
2: We will have to put a link in your show notes. Where can they find you online? You can find me on GitHub, github.com slash Anthony Ronda. It's R-O-N-D-A, no H in there. And you can find me on Twitter at Anthony Ronda because Anthony Ronda was taken. So I'm using the at symbol as a little a. Smart.
0: I get that now. <laughs> I thought you were doing just Anthony because and sounds like an Anthony, but at also yeah. works. Yeah, it's
2: Excellent. the best I could do.
0: That's it's still pretty good. Darn all those other Rondas out there. Rhonda. -er. Anthony, this has been excellent. Don't leave just yet because now is the time of the show where we do our spotlights. Spotlight is where we shine light, show some love, give a hat tip to anything cool in the universe. Doesn't have to be open source. Although it often is Eric Berry. You're the only one without a link on the document last time I checked. So what is your spotlight today?
1: My spotlight actually kind of fits in with what we're talking about. There's an open source project called Magica Voxel, and it is a cross-platform tool that allows you to create voxel objects that are often used in games. If you like Legos and that kind of stuff, it's really fun to just kind of get into your creative mindset and start working on it. Completely open source, and I think you can get it at voxelmade.com. Thank
3: you so much. Ben Nichols. So mine is going to be related to, uh, I moved to a dark sky area at the start of this year. And I found Stellarium, which is an open source astronomy tool, just last month. And it is amazing. It's GPL and you can find the code on GitHub and you can also donate and you can pay for free software. Now that's the thing on Open Collective as well. So I did that just last month. But yeah, Stellarium. Sweet. Errol Fox?
4: So my spotlight is within the world of TTRPGs. Gosh, say that three times fast. TTRPGs, it is a really cool thing that you can do if you don't have time to code or if you want to do more of the writing side of thing. So go to homebrewery.naturalcrit.com. There is a section of that site where you can, in Markdown, write a adventure module, write a homebrew class, write anything that you might want to turn into the pages that look like, you know, parchment and the D&D formatting, the Dungeons and Dragons formatting. And it's just really fun to play around with if you're more on the writing side of things uh, and want to contribute adventure modules or, you know, content. So check that out.
0: Stellar. Super cool. My spotlight today is Commander Keen. Commander Keen is the only computer game I have played consistently my entire life since I was around four. I played it yesterday on the plane coming back from OS Summit, which is super, super fun. Still working on beating it in one life on the hardest level without saving. It's taken me a while, but I will get there. John Carmack is one of the creators. He went on to do a lot of interesting stuff at Oracle. He is a huge open source proponent and fan. If anyone who is listening can get him on this show, please do so. I think that would be the sweetest, but Commander Keen, it's the best. Secrets of the Oracle is basically my childhood in a nutshell. All right. Anthony Rhonda, what is your spotlight today?
2: My spotlight is co-didact. So I'm assuming most listeners are aware of stack overflow and that is not necessarily in uh, open source project. However, Some of the people who helped create community at Stack Overflow decided to work on their own open source kind of like question and answering, very much inspired by that. And the thing that I like most about it is that any of my code answers, I can explicitly make them cc0 or dedicate them to the public domain. So, worth checking out for supporting open source and answering and asking coding questions and also TTRPG questions. That was a recent community that they added to their website.
0: Thank you for sharing. It's been also awesome just having you on here and your code deductory remarks. I've learned a lot today, which is very exciting. One of the cool things about you, Anthony, is that you're also a Frequent poster on the sustain discourse forum. That's right. We have a discourse forum. If you like to listen to this podcast, you can go there and comment on things. That's how we met Anthony. Super exciting. He's the only guest so far. Upon being asked, have you listened to this episode before? He says, yes, I've listened to all of them. You, oh, listener could also be that person. So if you have anything to say about sustaining open source, please do get in touch sustainOSS.org is our thing, but also do check out the Leap Extraordinary Foundry BTT Developers. It sounds super, super cool. Anthony, thank you again.
1: Thank you. This has been fun.